Hello there. Uh, my name is Jeff Benjamin, and this is the Investment News Podcast. I'm here today with a stand-in co-host, Nicole Casperson, our whiz kid technology reporter, filling in for Bruce Kelly, who's on vacation. We're going to start the show off with Kara Murphy, the first chief investment officer at Kespra Holdings. This is a brand new position. She's been there since June 28th, and we're told that she has all the answers for everything that's going on there at uh, the new division, which was created just for her or just for this position, either way, Kestra Investment Management. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Yeah, we are too. I'm, re- I'm really excited about this. I, you came from Goldman Sachs. Uh, you were the CIO of Goldman Sachs Personal Financial Management, and you got to Goldman Sachs by way of United Capital, where you were hired in 2018. And then, uh, as, as most of our audience knows, United Capital was acquired by Goldman Sachs. And on June 28th, it was announced that you were becoming the first CIO at Kestra Holdings. Tell us about that position. I, I mean, the first CIO means they didn't have one before, means they didn't have Kestra Investment Management before. So it sounds like they created this thing for you, right? Well, I mean, I think it was a need Kestra had, regardless of whether or not I was going to come in. I'm the lucky one, and I get to come in and, and, and have fun with the role. Um, and, and, you know, to give a little perspective, if, if you think about the firm Kestra Holdings, you know, we have a number of different ways of engaging with advisors, whether it's through the legacy Kester Financial Channel, through Blue Spring, through Art and Trust, through Grove Point. And there are a lot of services that we can provide advisors. But one important thing in an advisor experience that was missing was some more, you know, deeper, more detailed investment management. And so I think it's a real opportunity to be able to deepen the value prop that we offer to advisors. And for me, like the really fun part is, you know, blank sheet of paper, I get to have essentially a startup organization within a really well-established firm. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty exciting for me. Yeah. Just some numbers here. Kestra has uh, more than 2,400 financial advisors and $122 billion in assets under administration. That's not a small shop. What does it look like from your perspective? I mean, you're you're basically, and I don't really even understand what the investment management division is going to be. Are you going to be kind of creating models? You're going to be building a platform? Are you going to be, I mean, obviously financial advisors are already doing investment management, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, when you think about the the value proposition that me and my team can bring to the table... Financial advisors spend an awful lot of time on investments, right? You know, depending on what survey you look at, can be anywhere from 20 to 40% of their day thinking about their clients' portfolios. So it's a big investment of time and expertise. And, you know, as the um, industry becomes more competitive, as um, financial professionals need to really, you know, show more value for their clients. It's one way to be able to gain scale and leverage is be able to bring in a partner who can help you with those investments. And, you know, what we did at United Capital at Goldman and, and, you know, will do at Kestra is to be able to partner with those financial professionals, identify what's right for their clients, and then take some of that investment burden off the table. And it kind of breaks down into, you know, I'm thinking about it in three different buckets. There, there's, there's one like the, the market research and commentary. 
let's help financial professionals, you know, take a look under the hood about what's going on in markets, help them understand what trends they should be paying attention to, which ones you can ignore. Another one is to uh, like a more consultative aspect where you can work directly with advisors one-on-one, whether it's thinking about their whole book of business or an individual client need. And then finally, like a series of like a curated series of strategies that can fit well with what they're looking for with their clients. For context, what does uh, what does a, a Kestra affiliated financial advisor do now for? And just just to be clear, you mentioned these names, but Kestra Holdings owns Kestra Financial, Grove Point Financial, Blue Spring Wealth Partners, and Arden Trust, and and those are all platforms with affiliated financial advisors. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You won the, you won the quiz. <laughs> well, I have it written down right in front of me. <laughs> I cheated. But um, the, no, what I'm saying is what is, what do one of these advisors do now for, for their investment management needs for their clients? So what, what financial professionals here are doing is very much a reflection of what they're doing throughout the industry. Right. So there are some advisors who are doing the security selection themselves, right, who are listening to earnings conference calls and identifying the stocks and bonds that they want to buy in client portfolios, or they're working with some other outsource provider, whether it be a turnkey solution or other managers that they pick and select themselves. So it's really a range. Okay. I'm going to pass it over to Nicole. See with uh, what, what uh, do you have anything for, uh, for Kara? Yes, yes. Hi, Nicole here. Karen, nice to meet you. Happy nice to, to meet be, you. Happy to be Thank standing you. in for Bruce. I don't interrupt in a charming manner like he does. I wait for Jeff, my mentor, to tell me when I when I can jump in, but that's just because I'm a guest here. I interrupt him all the time in, in regular conversation. But yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I'm wondering, this is so interesting to, at this point, create... Uh, a Kestra investment management division around kind of your new role. Why create this division now? Is there something about the environment that has changed or a trend that has accelerated that you think makes you know your new role here and this division you're creating more, I guess, critical to to a firm more than before? Yeah. So it's interesting. I I think it's twofold. One is, you know, as I alluded to earlier, the industry is becoming increasingly competitive in like a good way, right? Like advisors are really stepping up their game to be able to offer more to their clients. And I think all of this ultimately helps clients have a better experience. And so, you know, a lot of advisors are working to really deepen that value prop. And then at the same time, like Kestra was ready in its life cycle to sort of think about taking on a whole other endeavor. And they've been growing really fast over the last couple of years, maturing as a firm. And I know that the executive team has had this in mind for a while. And it felt like everything just kind of finally fell into place for them to be able to take it on now because it is a big endeavor. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and to have, I think the female representation is also an aspect that is so important to note. The CIO role is not something that a lot of women get to get to hold, uh, and you've done so at multiple prominent firms, and and now Kestra. What's it like for you to you know be that representation, right? To have that kind of almost responsibility, right? Of women looking and saying, "Hey, like I could be the CIO of the next big firm, or I can do this as well." Is that something that you? Kind of think about as you've like build out a team and your own company culture. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the short answer is it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) I I started in this business over 20 years ago on Wall Street when, you know, I think women were tolerated. You know, you hear a lot of kind of tough stories about how women were treated on the trading floor and whatnot before I arrived. But but I I came in at a time, you know, when when it was fine, women were, were welcome. But but they weren't seen as, uh, you know, firms weren't actively looking to recruit women. If you made it in the door, okay. And then as I progressed in my career, you know, I got used to being the only woman in the room. And, and, and that's pretty much how I've spent much of my career. But I got to a certain point where I looked around and I was like, I really want to see more, not just women represented, but a more diverse workforce around me. So, and at that point, I was a manager, and so I was able to make hiring decisions, and and so it became very important to me to to have a diverse team. And so, you know, I worked hard to recruit diverse talent. I only hire the best. I'm not going to hire somebody just because they tick that box. But I tried to talk to a lot of people, and I've successfully built pretty successful, pretty diverse teams uh, wherever I've been. And I think that's important for a lot of different reasons. It, it's good for the business, right? It's not just the right thing to do. But having a diverse set of perspectives really, I think, makes teams work better and leads to a better outcome. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's the kind of freedom that you'll get here with, with Kestra as you, as you build this out as well? Yeah, I think, I think my approach and my values really line up with what Kestra is looking for. And it's something I talked about during the process as I was coming on. And so it's exciting to be in an organization that, you know, feels aligned in that respect. Mm-hmm. Karis, kind of staying along that same line of thinking, who have been, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, or how long you've been in the business, <laughs> because you might ask me how old I am and you don't need to do it on that road. Who but, wants to ask me how old I am? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that you're not old enough to drink, Nicole. <laughs> the, uh, but, but Kara, who have been maybe some of your, your kind of role models and mentors and some of the people that, that you felt like kind of looked, you looked up to and encouraged you throughout your career? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky to work for just brilliant people. And uh, so Joe McAlinden is, well, actually, even before that. So so even before I started on Wall Street, I worked for a professor of mine from the University of Chicago who had started a consulting firm, Marvin Zonas. And um, he was a wonderful mentor, like great mind, wonderful communicator, was able to like really reduce complex messages to, you know, um, what was most important. And so he was, he was great to work with very early on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Joe McAlinden, who at the time was chief investment officer at Morgan Stanley Investment Management, made the crazy decision to give me my first job on Wall Street. And I still think back and wonder, why did Joe do that? But I'm so lucky that he did. And I had a fantastic time uh, working with him and, and learning from him. And, and that was in a really great space to get to know Wall Street and, and, and everything that it meant. And, and he was a great mind. My colleague while I was working there, Warren Hatch, who's a very good friend, also was a great teacher. He had an academic background, so he had a similar sort of you know, unusual way to Wall Street, but just brilliant mind, very, very thoughtful. Tim Petty hired me at AIG and I have an interesting story with him. He hired me. I worked for him for a number of years. And then he, he's like, you know, let, let, let's get lunch and talk about your career after we'd worked together for, I don't know, six years or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, do you want my job? And I was like, <laughs> no, I was like, I like working for you. Don't go anywhere. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you want my job? 
he was chief investment officer at the time of AIG funds. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I do. And I was like, well, where are you going? But he's like, well, I'm thinking about something different. But he said, if you want it, I'll, I'll do what I can to get you in that slot. So, so I did. And, and, and so I took over his role. But as we were going through that transition, a spot, portfolio manager spot on my team opened up. And he's like, you know what? I'd like to do that. So we actually went from one day me reporting to him to him reporting to me. And uh, <laughs> we worked in that relationship for a number of years after that. And so he remains a good friend today. Right. That's so fun. Jeff, do you want to switch jobs for a day? <laughs> Should we? We'll talk about, can... that, talk about that <laughs> offline. The, um, Kara, we kind of we glossed over a little bit the, the, the actual logistics of creating this division. I mean, was this... Uh, I I'm, I think I was joking when I said the division was created for you, but the timing is probably not just coincidental. And so I'm assuming this involves a lot of the the building blocks being placed in your in your hands, right? Are you you doing hiring and creating departments within the division and so forth? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is from the ground up. And again, I'm lucky in that Kester itself is well established, but the investment function within the firm is is really still a blank slate. So, you know, we have some view about what the team will look like. We have some view about, you know, what the services will offer will look like, what the product lineup will be. And now a lot of it is, you know, a lot of that has happened in my head, which can be a dangerous place to be for too long. So <laughs> I'm trying to talk to as many people as I can, get feedback from some of the financial professionals that we work with about what it is that they really need um, so that we can start, you know, really hammering out the details. Do you know how much hiring you there will be? How many people? At least a dozen. Okay. It's going to be a, you know, it, there's a lot of work to do. Right. And uh, I'm assuming you're going to keep us here at Investment News, up to speed, and you'll be accessible going forward, right? I know of you're course. a C-suite executive and all that stuff, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping course. we don't have to get screened through 12 PR people. We love our <laughs> PR people, but um, you know, it's nice to get access to the the C-suite folks when we can. Anytime. Um, and I think the only other thing I want to ask you is, is uh, I'm not that familiar with Kestra. Is, is there anything you can tell us about kind of Kestra in general, Kestra Holdings, or or anything that might be also kind of on the horizon or on the drawing board there? Yeah, um, let me think. So, I mean, you touched on about 2,400 professionals or so around the country. We ta talked about like the different units within Kestra. And, and one thing that I would say is you know, we, we look for ways to be able to partner with financial professionals at different points, like in their life or growth cycle. But beyond that, it's really about helping to empower advisors and, and help them serve their clients better. And so, you know, constantly looking to be able to deepen the value proposition for them. Um, we have a number of other projects afoot. I, you know, I mean, this is still a very innovative entrepreneurial company, right? And so, so there are many different projects going on from you know, technology to operations. And, and one thing that's been super exciting is that just everybody here has this willingness to like learn and do better. So there are no sacred cows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that, uh, that we're all working on. Well, it's going to be fun to watch the evolution of this investment management division and uh, watch to see if the numbers of advisors and assets uh, grow in stride. I got to mm -hmm. believe they are. And I, I know that that's probably part of the plan, but uh 
I think that's it for us uh, here at the Investment News Podcast. Kara, really appreciate you coming on. A lot of fun talking to you, and I am so Thank excited to, to kind of follow your uh, your what you're doing there at Castro because I'm sure it's going to be great stuff. And I'm sure you're going to tell us first whenever there's big news, right? <laughs> well, I so appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a pleasure. Okay, folks, now we're talking to Blair Ducanet, financial planner at Ritholtz Wealth Management. We're going to talk about Britney Spears and the conservatorship situation. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tangled web, but uh, we're going to break it all down. Nicole, you want, to, uh, you want to kick it off for us? Yes, thanks, Jeff. So for some context, in case you live under a rock, then you've probably heard about Britney Spears and her fight for financial freedom. The pop culture icon made a public plea back in June to end her 13-year conservatorship, where her estranged father, Jamie Spears, is currently in control. Since Britney's testimony, the judge has denied her request to have her father removed from the conservatorship, and co-conservator Bessemer Trust has asked to resign. Britney's longtime manager resigned as well, and her attorney is asking to resign. So the case is really drawing this nationwide attention to several lessons for financial advisors around gender inequities, estate planning, mental health issues. So there's a lot to unpack here. Blair, thank you so much for joining us. Maybe let's start with your overview of what's going on, what advisors need to take note of, because as I said, there's a ton going on here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I would love to say I'm so excited to be talking about Britney Spears because I'm a huge fan, but this is actually such a downer and such a sad um, situation that we're watching unfold day by day. You know, this is a tough one. I mean, my biggest takeaway is that don't wait to do your estate planning. I mean, I think she was 25 years old uh, when the conservatorship began and, you know, mid-20s, very few people in their 20s are thinking about putting estate documents into place or thinking about who should be my power of attorney if I were to lose mental capacity. So I guess my biggest takeaway for advisors is we should be pressing our clients of all ages, of all backgrounds, you know, whether they're single, married, have children or not, that it's very important to think about these vital life and health decisions before it's too late because we, we can't really wait until we get older. Hey, Blair, can we back up just a second and, and kind of break down what a conservatorship is? And then, you know, to be fair, Britney Spears had a lot of money at 25. So maybe an estate document would have been a little more prudent for her, correct? Of course. But, you know, we see celebrity after celebrity dying intestate all the time. You know, Prince, Aretha Franklin, you know, these come to mind. So what is a conservatorship? Well, it's the California term for guardianship, which essentially means someone has control, and in Brittany's case, over both her finances and herself, her person. So the state, through the courts, has appointed uh, her father and a series of other people, um, some who you know have resigned, to have control over her finances and of her personal medical decisions which is pretty frightening. But for anybody who has experienced having a family member or a loved one with mental health issues, especially serious ones or addiction um, or other forms of you know, eating disorders, it's, it's a very scary situation. 
as a parent, I would imagine, to see your child losing this kind of control. And so from, from one perspective, you can almost understand why at the beginning of this, you know, her, her father would have sought a conservatorship. What puzzles me is why at no point was there any attempt to start to piece by piece, give her back control of her life. And I think that's what people are pondering today is how did this go on for 13 years? And, it, you know, it's pretty frightening here reading. I was reading Ronan Farrow's piece in, in The New Yorker. And they're not even letting her contact friends. They take, they take away her cell phone. She's like covertly, you know, meeting up with people in, in hotel lobbies to, to get burner cell phones. But that's a pretty uh, extraordinary situation to find right. oneself. And not to mention, I have to throw out the probably the most shocking thing, which she said during her testimony that they're not letting her get married with her boyfriend or even take out her IED so she can have children. She's being forced to do, you know, shows when she isn't feeling her best. It's like, uh, it's just, it sounds like the story of like a Black Mirror episode. It's crazy how much control is given. Yes, of course, everybody just sort of shrieked when we heard that they were not allowing her to have children, to choose whether or not she wanted to have children. I mean, I, I think, you know, Nicole, I told you Kanye West seems to have similar, you know, mental health issues, although I'm not able to diagnose either of these people. And he's out there running for president. And yet Britney Spears is not even allowed to ride in her boyfriend's car alone. I mean, that that is just a very stark difference. And you have to wonder if Britney Spears were a man, if any of this would have ever happened to her. Well, well, Kanye West isn't in a conservatorship, though, right? Exactly. That's my point. Right. But right? They've both had, yeah, they've had very similar mental health breakdowns and very public as well. Right. Well, I mean, let's let's there's a lot of crazy people in the world. But the I mean, and if they were all in conservatorships, who knows what the world would be like. But with regard to Britney Spears and I guess conservatorships in general, I was kind of blown away that this had gone on for 13 years. To be frank, I don't really follow Britney Spears. Uh, I was assigned uh, by our wonderful producer, Steve Lamb, to to pick out my three favorite Britney Spears songs before this podcast. And I spent the last 12 hours listening to Britney Spears music, and I don't think I have a favorite. But um, so, <laughs> it's so hard to pick. Yeah. Long, long story short, I, I, I didn't know that this had gone on for this long. I knew there was something out there. But I'm just wondering, why can't an adult of almost 40 years of age, who is clearly worth a lot of money, find a way out of this situation? That is the most puzzling question here. And it seems from her testimony that she was stating she was not even aware she was eligible to file to end the conservatorship. Uh, And that was the big sticking point is this wasn't even an attorney that she selected. She was literally forced to take this attorney. Like that was of of no choice of her. And she was paying him half a million dollars a year. I don't think there were that many hours involved. So if you have an attorney who is not even one of your choosing, who knows, you know, what sort of advice was given to her. She seems to claim that she didn't even know she could file to end the conservatorship, which is, which is just maddening. But, you know, we have to remember Unfortunately, Britney Spears has a ninth grade education. You know, she was a she was working full time at the age of eleven. So this is somebody who doesn't necessarily look at. 
it's so sad. Like if anybody needs somebody they can trust in this world, it's Britney Spears, right? She needs help. And she can't even trust her own parents who seem to have, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, taken advantage of her and have been living off of, of her labor. It's just such a sad situation all the way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, highlighting financial literacy issues, financial literacy, mental health. I mean, it's cra- it is crazy that someone with that amount of wealth right doesn't know how to how to manage it and i guess it happens all the time and we're just seeing it so uh escalated and highlighted with the situation but there's just like almost in one case like all of the issues around finance right uh that and and things can be encompassed in one case is is really wild yeah it's this is a pretty unique situation right a world a top performer you know, one of the biggest sellers of music in history, right? Headlines, multi-million, hundred million dollar tours and a Vegas residency, and yet is legally not allowed to make her own financial decisions or her own healthcare decisions, or even whether or not she can ride in the car with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Blair, what kind of documents could Brittany or somebody have in place that might have helped them avoid or maneuver or navigate a conservatorship relationship or situation? Yeah, good question. And so we don't actually know what documents she had in place at that age, right? She did have a lot of money at that time. And you're right. It's possible that she had had drafted some documents. I think most importantly, she would have had a chance to be on the record with legal documents stating through the powers of attorney for financial decisions and powers of attorney for healthcare decisions, who she would like to be making those decisions on her behalf. And perhaps that could have been presented to the court had they been in place. Now, maybe she would have chosen her own family members. I mean, I feel like at 25 years old, you don't necessarily know many other people, right? At at that point to name, but a power of attorney is a document where you can state, should I lose mental capacity? This person is who I want making my decisions for me. And you can do that for financial matters and for healthcare decisions. Well, that's something that everybody should have then, right? Especially young people, I feel these days. You know, it was pointed out to me recently, it, it's wonderful now that young people can stay on their parents' health care until age 26, right? That was, you know, the Obamacare change. However, I have a 19-year-old intern this year. Once these children reach the age of 18, their parents, who may actually still be paying for their health care and health insurance, are no longer able to converse with these doctors, right? So, you know, even for these young people, and of course, the the most common thing that can happen to young people is to get an accident, right? Making sure that you've named somebody as your power of attorney in these situations can be very important. Hopefully it never happens, but if it does, you might as well have those documents in place. You'll be a lot better off. Mm -hmm. So talking talking to clients, right? Like for an advisor, thinking about how just because your client is, you know, maybe in their 20s or 30s or still relatively young, you know, it doesn't mean you just wait to have that conversation until later or until they accumulate X amount of wealth. Or are there any kind of guidelines to that? Or do you think it should just be, I should be having this conversation with all of my clients? I think everybody needs estate documents. But what we know is that I think the latest data is still two thirds of Americans don't have a will. Right. And if they don't have a will, they definitely don't have a power of attorney in place. So unfortunately, there's there's a, 
an economic barrier, right? It's, it's expensive to hire an attorney to draft these documents. Everybody, I believe in all 50 states, has the ability to create a holographic will, to write these documents out in their own handwriting. And then there are, of course, options such as LegalZoom, um, which may be a great way to just, in a, in a, for a lot less money, to put something at a minimum in place. But, but yes, I do think that the takeaway here is that, and I don't know that this would have stopped the conservatorship, right? But at least she would have had a chance to go on the record before she was deemed mentally incapable of making these decisions. Right. To at least say something about even, you know, her estranged relationship with her father. That's been going on for a long time. And there's, I would imagine, a major conflict of interest. Um, Obviously, when someone's young, right, we had said before, having a family member makes sense. But it is wild to think that in as someone ages or if a conservatorship lasts as long as this one has, that they don't have any liberty to decide who could be the new conservator. And it seems as though I can't tell if, you know, Bessemer resigning is good or bad, that it seems like it's bad because then Jamie is just the sole controller. It's a hot potato issue now. Anybody who can get out of this is getting out, right? I, I heard that the woman who is the conservator over her person is getting death threats and needs 24 hour security. So everybody who could get out, right? Her attorney, her manager resigned, Bessemer Trust, right? There's just too much risk for them at this point. It's going to get, it's going to fall down to Jamie will be the only person left standing. And hopefully there is a way out of this for her. I mean, I just, I feel like she's earned the right to make her own mistakes at this point. And I think long ago, there should have been a plan in place to, to remove some of these obstacles for her to give her back some of the decision making powers in her in her own life in a controlled manner because I think at this point now it's it's like a bomb has gone off. There may not be any way to step out of this slowly. Yeah, and for anyone listening that's not familiar with the finer details of the Britney Spears story, Jamie that we're referencing, and there's her father, Jamie Spears. And um, Blair, have you ever worked with a conservatorship in any way, known a client or anything like that that's had something like this? I have not. I mean, I think it's a very rare. Well, first of all, I think the term conservatorship only applies in the state of California. That's true. Most other states, it's called a guardianship. Of course, if if a parent were to pass away and leave assets to a minor child, you know, and not in trust, most states are going to step in and appoint a a guardian. So I have seen that, Mm -hmm. but I have never personally worked in a situation where someone with mental health issues is under a guardianship or conservatorship. Yeah, it's mind-boggling to see and and seeing how much uh Britney Spears has done as far as work and performing and so forth while under this conservatorship. It's it's kind of difficult to imagine what her life is like. I'm sure she's probably got everything she needs financially, but uh she doesn't seem to be very happy with the the legal constraint she's living under. Right. I mean, it's like being a prisoner in your own home, right? I think one thing that stood out to me a lot when I listened to her, her statement was when she said, it's crazy that she is paying the salaries of the people that are telling her what to do, right? Like it doesn't make any sense. It should be the other way around. And then they kind of, they gaslight her to make her think that, you know, she isn't, 
mentally stable and that type of thing. And of course, this is what she says in her testimony. But I just I do think that this like conflict of interest to have her father to be the conservator is crazy. It's pretty crazy because, you know, they could have had a fiduciary bound financial advisor or, you know, life coach or whatever it could have been. Right. They could have had a whole team. You know, she has all the means necessary to have a proper team than, you know, your father. Right. Because even though that's your your blood or whatever, at the end of the day, like you can't fire your father in a sense. Right. Like he'll always be around. He'll always kind of have that like family bloodline control, whereas at least if you had a team of people, right, you can fire them, you can remove them if they act out of line and that hurts their you know lives and businesses or whatever. So I just I don't see what the judge doesn't isn't I wish we could like ha- read her mind because I don't know what the judge isn't seeing that the rest of the world is apparently. Yeah, and I think it's important to note luckily her health status is still, you know, confidential, right? So we don't actually know the whole story here. But I just think about it like if this were to happen to me or any of you, like wouldn't like her father has the option of saying no, I don't want to be compensated for this. And that's what's really heartbreaking about the whole thing is that according to to Brittany, she is being forced to work to do a Las Vegas residency, to do a world tour that grosses over a hundred million dollars. And she's on an allowance. She actually can spend very little of her money. And yet she has to spend, it must be millions of dollars a year if her, if her one attorney is, is half a million a year on these people who the court has forced her to hire to control herself. I mean, that is a pretty wild situation to find oneself in. And I think that's why this story has captured everybody's attention over the last few weeks. It's just maddening to to imagine being in this situation. And what would someone with no financial means, what would they be doing if they if the court was mandating this for them? Ugh. I mean, who who knows, right? They could be in like a court mandated health, right? Mental health institution. They could be somewhere so much worse, right? Like because Brittany has money and and as wealthy she is a prisoner in a mansion right at at the very least but like prisoner nonetheless and yeah i i wonder what can happen moving forward i guess i i think about how all of the people in her orbit are resigning because they seemingly have not a lot of choice right like the death threats or what what have you but does this mean that she's going to have autonomy to start to pick her own lawyer since the one resigned? Or is it just going to be back to dad choosing these people or someone else choosing these people now that resignations are happening? Yeah. I mean, I think according to the courts in California, she is not mentally capable of choosing her own attorney. So I'm sure there are some legal maneuvers that would have to be done to even make, make that possible. So this is a story I think we're going to be following for months to come. I mean, there was a decision last week based on a court filing from November. So this is going to move pretty slowly. I don't know if there's a way to speed it up. And you're right. It's a mess that I think should have been dealt with many, many years ago. As soon as she was able to work, which she you know, pointed out, they should have started taking steps to, to give her some of her rights back, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. So... I would like to say that as a, as a true fan of Britney Spears, you cannot have just one favorite, right? Um, <laughs> so I can't, I'm, I can't. <laughs> I mean, Slave for You has to be right up there. 
I do like overprotected. I think that if you go look at the lyrics of that, that's very apropos to what's going on in her life right now, sadly. And you can't, you can't not have toxic on there. And I'm a big fan of radar. Oh, radar is also good. Yes. I I'm of the belief that to have top Britney songs, you have to break it into early 2000s Britney and then post 2010s Britney. So you have to have like two because there's just so much. But I, I also agree with you that a lot of her songs have been a cry for help for a while, like even the song Lucky, which is early 2000s. But I would say I think Oops, I Did It Again is that song comes on and I just can't stop singing and, and, and dancing. Toxic is probably her biggest hit. Baby One More Time also. I really like Me Against the Music because Madonna is in it as well and Slave for You, which is a great music video and the dancing. Post-2010s Britney, I would say Hold It Against Me, Till the World Ends is so much fun. And I actually really like Give Me More, which I feel like is maybe an unpopular Oh, yes. Thing. I but do like fun. Give Me More. Yes. That is a great one. Yeah, it was kind um, of and me against the music. Yeah. yeah. And sadly, unfortunately, it was the first album after the conservatorship began was Circus. But I do like that song, Circus. It's quite good. Right, right. Yeah. It, it is crazy, right, to think that someone has is under that type of control, but then is still producing these great shows and like doing all these things so, so well, producing great albums and like, it, but I mean, it's it's it, we don't know the behind the scenes, right, of like how good of, I guess, like an actress she is, right, to like look so happy and, and go lucky and dance well and all the things. But then, you know, to maybe close the curtain and be miserable. And it's like it's like a Disney movie or something crazy. It's but in real life, it's it's wild. All right, Jeff, what, what are your favorite Britney songs? Come on, that's way too much pressure. All I'm doing is writing all these names down so I can listen to them <laughs> later. Um, but uh, I will say this, we're, we're maybe, maybe if we're really good, that uh, our producer, Steve Lamb, will, will wrap up this episode of the Investment News Podcast with some Britney uh, outro music. So let's, that would be cool, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope- think. I think that she should get a lot more credit. I really do think that she is one of the greatest pop stars of all time. And I really do hope that she will find some relief and some happiness very soon. And uh, we're out. We're, we're behind you, Brittany. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely paved the way for pop culture, for women artists. I mean, a whole other subject matter would be to go into just how poorly she was treated by the press and, and villainized and, just another area to prove that you know a, a woman artist that's up and coming gets a bit more heat than than men do. But as you said, hashtag free Britney. We really, really hope that this ends, and we want to see justice served. And we don't want to see another artist that we love or anyone for that matter be under this level of imprisonment, basically, and and to have basically their civil rights taken from them so anyway free britney free britney say it jeff free britney should we chant you want to take us home there nicole sure <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you so much again to Blair for joining us on this segment of the podcast and to Kara earlier for joining us as well. I'm Nicole Casperson. It's been loads of fun to sit in for my colleague Bruce Kelly and join Jeff Benjamin on the Investment News Podcast. We are on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you like, you name it. We drop episodes weekly. Bruce should be back next week. And I believe that's it. Oh, also, I host a podcast called Tech Stacks. It's about fintech for advisors. So feel free to tune into that as well. We drop episodes monthly, hosted with Sean Alaka. And we are tackling the topic of alternative investments and technology giving access to investments for advisors. So shameless plug. Hashtag free Britney.